Hi, welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, author of Fuck Like a Goddess, creator of Radical Awakenings, transformational coach, and student of life. I'm here to stand with you asking questions about what is sacred and what is profane and the space between. Enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. So on today's podcast, I have a dear friend of mine, Arana Leah. And on this podcast, we talk about our friendship, the ups and downs we've had, conflicts we've had, some bumps in the road, and a lot of love. And we also uh, share about our healing journey, spiritual journey. So I hope you enjoy. Let me know and go follow her. She is an epic woman. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. Here with me, Alexandra. And today I have a dear friend of mine named Arana Leah. So everybody, this is why this woman is uh, a really incredible human. You may know her because she started and created the Moon Deck. The Moon Deck is an incredible oracle card deck um, that's really centered around the lunar cycles. So Arana is a witch, a creative, an artist, a leader, a teacher. What I also love about Arana is that she's lived a great many lives. <laughs> so this woman, you may, in, and I think I love that because it kind of reminds me of me and I feel like we have this kindredness here, but like people probably find you um, on, on social media or, you know, through your card deck and assume that's like your big creation, but you've had many big creations before that. They're just not like living, let's say on Instagram, they lived out in the world and one of the things that Arana created that I always, that sounded so amazing was that she did these live, um, these yoga classes with a live orchestra <laughs> and that people were doing yoga and there was visuals on the walls, like um, projected gorgeous visuals and an orchestra. And she, she told me once about one she did in Iceland and it sounded so incredibly magical. This was years ago. We were laughing one day on a hike because now we've seen that many people have done sort of like visuals or um, uh, live music and yoga, but that Arana was like tuned into something visionary because it was quite quite a long time ago that she channeled that as part of her artistic gift. So she's also a photographer. She uh, photographed the Kumbh Mela, which is this incredible um, spiritual gathering in India. She she photographed people like in the Ganges River, uh, sadhus swinging swords. And so this, this woman is an adventurer. And that's <laughs> one of the reasons that I love her. And I'm happy to have her here because you know, for all of you listening who, um, you know, you, you're not sure if you should take a risk or create one thing or another, uh, I think Arana and I are both women who follow follow the lead of adventure of our soul's calling and just create and reinvent um, and allow for beginnings and endings of projects and cycles. And I think that that is a very feminine way of, of creating. And I say that with like a little bit of a, because <gasps> it's... Um, you know, claiming that as that cyclical, as feminine, as like the way we bleed is, um, it feels important in these times just to, to note that. Um, so anyway, that's my introduction of you from over here. Anything you want to add? <laughs> Thank you. So nice to hear that reflection. Um, I mean, yeah, I think you covered it all. I mean, I was, I spent Oh, I didn't years. see your background, like your ethnic background or whatever. Oh, sure. Um, 
Yeah, well, my father's side is European Jewish and Judaism was pretty consistent in my life because I lived with my father mostly. Uh, And then I would visit my mom frequently throughout the year. And she um, she was raised Jehovah Witness, but became a Buddhist. But we'd celebrate Christmas. (laughs) And then um, she's Native American, Cherokee, Choctaw and French from the South, South, Southern Cajun Creole. And they are very different planets. And both of them are very much in me. Uh, my dad's kind of the business structured guy and, and my mom's definitely the mystic who uh, couldn't quite find her place in this world. Uh, and now, now she's free. And um, yeah, so you've kind of covered it. I mean, 16 years as a yoga teacher, holistic health counseling wow. before that, uh, photography and visual art before that. Um, I've pretty much always worked for myself, uh, you know, in my journey and uh and it's not done the moon deck is is the main business right now um i'm in like as you know <laughs> ceo business boss babe mode and i'm also starting to shift and make more space to to have that creative also lead and create new things and i'm sure like you as i uh, grow and fall apart and build myself back up and learn all the lessons of life new creations come out of that constantly mm. Yeah, yeah, and I'm excited for what's what um is the next creation on the horizon. Um well so something that you and I have talked about is how to be a strong woman in today's world, say uh someone who runs a business and maybe you manage other people in terms of you you have team or employees. Um And you're managing perhaps money. So there's like a lot of inherent structure that needs to be held, like holding a lot. Um, How do you do that without getting hard or tough or kind of cold or closed off? Because it it feels like at times it's two different things to be warm, open hearted and tender and then to have to switch gears and to be like structured and, and like the boss who can't really feel everything for everyone in, in the moment. Otherwise, nothing would get done. And I'm curious. Yeah, your take on that. I wouldn't say I, I have that balance all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, the first thing that came up is honestly so many years as a photographer and teacher and always being in a role where I was leading and guiding energy and having to have certain boundaries in that yeah. seat, um, maybe too rigid and thorny at times, but um, but also open. I don't. I think I really developed that. And I haven't even really thought about this until you posed the question that way, like as a teacher, of like holding space for a room full of people or an individual, but usually a room and, and just like so focused and open to channel, but like knowing alignment and exactly where I was leading them. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, and I did that for 16 years and I was led that way by my teachers, especially the era of that world that I was in. Um, and yeah, I think that's been a huge, huge lesson in the last few years and has connected me to some of the depths of my biggest cravings and desires, which we've talked about, um, is to find that balance. And and because uh, when I get too stuck in that masculine push uh, control, which is a big thing for me that, you know, dates back into childhood and we can get into that, when those things get... Uh, too intense or too inflamed, or I'm not finding the balance. Um, I'm not happy. I'm, I can get really anxious and overwhelmed and I tend to contract and repel. 
when I'm too thick in that space. And that's mm. something that I'm very aware of and, and, and really working on through EMDR therapy, through exploring where I want to live and what kind of environment I want to be in, um, through having more depth in my relationships and friendships and, and not being afraid to, to, uh, be me in those friendships and relationships and ask for what I need and not feel bad or guilty about that. Um, yeah. And then I have a great team, honestly, that's, I mean, that came with time. Uh, I have a new team from where the business started and um, I hired well and, and yeah. yeah. And just in, as a business person learning to hire people who are great at what they do and giving them some autonomy and then I have really structured meetings every week, which help mm. me stay kind of like in my, my lane so they can be in theirs, but we meet every week to check in and um, on a business tip, just having those updates personally uh, relieves a lot of like possible anxiety. So that's yeah. something I do on a kind of practical level. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like having other people hold some of the structure so that you don't have to hold all the structure and then having those check-ins about the structure, the progress, the numbers, again, so that you can kind of let that be in your awareness, but it's not your all the time. You know you have a designated container of time to go there. And so you can maybe you can relax in the other times. And, you know, it's, 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 it's still a fascinating phenomenon to me. And I, I think that we are part of a new wave um, being women that are running businesses or creative projects or whatever it is, having a lot of responsibility and also asking ourselves to be vulnerable, be tapped into our emotions, have a soft, open body, be connected to our senses, um, that there, that just, especially in the Western world, especially in the U.S., like that wasn't possible. You know, like you can you, doing both. Like we didn't, we don't have the role models for that. We have a lot of role models for um, what it's like to really run a company and be super boss, right? There's tons of role models for that. And I think that happened at a certain era where it was like, okay, now women, we need this. We need women as leaders. Like we really do. Um, the world depends on it and how much all those people hold and then what you have to sacrifice. And I, I think for me, I'm like, well, I don't want to sacrifice um, my pleasure or my emotions or um, my sort of femininity. I don't want to have to sacrifice it um, in order to hold together a business. And it's a journey. I, I do think it's a journey. I don't think there are um, that many examples of what it's like to sort of hold both poles and not that it needs to be genderized necessarily, but there's an archetypal energy to like, um, birth and womb and slowing down and feeling, um, that I think that it, it sometimes it's counter to <gasps> gotta get everything done. And I think that I experience that the most when I'm about to bleed, I'm like, well, now I'm actually forced to feel, and to slow down, I actually don't have space to hold all of this in my nervous system, like the, the all of the 
tasks, et cetera. Um, and it's, it's something that over the last three years or so of, of running, um, a business in the way that I am, I'm like always paying attention to like, how am I feeling? Am I overloading my nervous system? Am I having to check out from my emotional, um, reality in order to get things done? Uh, and I'm always like, I don't want to do that because that was my, I did that for so long. I checked out from my emotional reality and, um, yeah, I just, I think that, that us having conversations and like kind of being in the inquiry around like, what is this going to look like? I don't know, you know? Yeah, I resonate with all of that. And that's something I'm very much learning because I, I definitely have had the beliefs that things have to be hard to be good or mm-hmm. like successful. Um, I'm still kind of working that one out of my system <laughs> and it shows up in different places and, and I do work hard, but I, I, um, having that spaciousness is important. And if that means that my business might look a little different as a result, whether that's it's infrastructure or the finances or whatever, like that's not that it has to be either, or I think I'm definitely trying to discover what that is for me, but I do think business is shifting. And I do think that smaller brands and kind of grassroots businesses from the ground up and more women run uh, companies and industries opening up is helping that message get out there. And I feel like for me, when I hear that message or I see role models that are out there, something in me softens because I just feel so much permission. And and as I grow into that, I want to be one of the people giving that permission to others who want to start a business or, and in a business could be anything. You can be an artist and you're still, a, you know, you're still running your exactly. own little business or yeah. e-commerce or being a teacher or exactly all content of creator, whatever it is. So mm-hmm. I think there's a balance. I'm definitely finding that. And, you know, I'm a city girl. I grew up in LA, I lived in New York for 20 years. I was back in LA. Now I'm in New Mexico. And so there is a different flavor to those places. And so I'm discovering that too, is like, how do I operate in these different environments? Um, and 20 man- years in New York, 18. Oh my God. I had 12, but I mean, what is that? Like, how does that, uh, what does that do to your nervous system? Ooh. I mean, I honestly don't know where I, where I don't know what the saying would be, but where anxiety began and where I ended, or like, I don't know what what anxiety I was born with and what actually developed in New York. So I was there, you know, in my early twenties after I was in India for six months, photographing the Maha Mela, as you mentioned. So I was just like on this epic film project. The project was happening in New York. I went there and I just never left. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't have changed it. New York's a very, very unique, special place. And the people are incredible. And the level of innovation and collaboration is incredible. Um, but that much concrete and that much metal and that much like go, go, go energy is a lot for a sensitive, intuitive witch. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I think like alcohol and tobacco were part of how my nervous system like had to regulate. Like it it was like, I I couldn't wind down fully. I think, I think my New York years were maybe not college, but I think I I, like left New York and went to Portland and Seattle and I I didn't need to drink as much or like to kind of chill. Like it's pretty chill. Seattle's pretty chill. But then I moved back to New York and I remember like feeling well, like the overload in my nervous system. And then I think I entered into some years of like pretty consistent um, drinking to, 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 you know, kind of 
mitigate all of the stimulus, like to kind of yeah. find a way to expand outward. Cannabis um, was that for me, just to oh, like really? yeah. kill my nervous system. It, like it, it, it helped me relax so much, but then it would actually increase the, the kind of dissonance in my system and, you know, over time. But I traveled a lot too. I taught all over the world and I would get those breaks. Yeah. A lot of New Yorkers travel, right? It's kind of how we yeah. keep the balance, but yeah, I'm grateful for it, but I'm done with it. And I, I don't, want to be in quite that type of grit in my system anymore. Like one of my biggest priorities right now is letting my nervous system heal from everything that's going yeah. on in my life and, and balance that out and feel really in my body and integrated. And from that place, coming back to our conversation of creating and running a business from that place, like there's just so much more connection and trust and resonance and flow. Right. And that's really what I'm kind of building and learning and working towards right now. Yeah. Yeah. And in New York, I feel like it is acceptable to be a like a strong woman who's like kind of powering down the sidewalk with her latte on her phone, <laughs> you know, like her shit kicker boots. Her <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like if you are a woman, like actually, like, I feel like there's a teacher who wrote about this in a book, um, but like, imagining like a, a Hawaiian dancer on the street in New York, like how she's moving and how, like, how would that work with the city energy? And I remember kind of reading this and being like, right, like I want to be more sensual Hawaiian hula dancer um, than I want to be, kind of like rigid running from meeting to meeting. And it's just, it's, it's not, and that was just a different phase of my life, like leaving New York, but the energy of a soft, open-hearted, you know, nervous system front surface of the body. It's just, it's really hard, hard to maintain there. I don't even, I don't know that I don't know anyone there who has that, who has that feeling to them, which is fine. It's not a complaint or judgment. It's more of just like, it's in order to exist in a certain culture, like you have to harden in a certain way. Like it's just too much. You can't just stay open. You can't be just like wide open. And in the same way that like right now I can be more wide open because I'm living um, in the mountains. And maybe you feel that in New Mexico a little bit or... Yeah. And I remember when I would travel, if I go to Peru or Colombia or Hawaii or whatever, and I would come back to New York, I would literally just feel like almost like this, like transformer armor start to come around me. And it was really painful. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would, it would throw me off quite a bit and I would have to, and then I would be fine because I would recalibrate. And there is an interesting spaciousness there too. There's so many dancers and artists and yeah. Interesting mix, but I did notice when I would leave and come back, it would just the armor would harden because I sort of had to. I've just like always had kind of eyes on my back and, you know, being super street smart and just kind of having that very active all the time. Uh, do I in New Mexico? Yeah. I mean, I've I've been hopping around for two months. So I don't really have a proper home at the moment and I don't mm -hmm. own a lot at the moment. <laughs> um, so that's been nice. And when I'm at the houses that are like 
just have these incredible decks in the sky. My head just being in the sky Mm. is what I want. And I'm definitely calling that in. And I just, my head being that close to the sky, granted the skies and the sunsets are just incredible here. It does something to my nervous system and my brain that I'm deeply craving. And is that forever? I don't know. It could just be like a huge dose of medicine for the next few months. I'm I'm going through a lot of transitions right now and I can kind of feel this cork is going to release in the next couple of months. And it's Mm. been building for the last few years. Mm. Um, I've had some of the, just the deepest growth of my life in the last few years. Um, so, you know, the catalyst being my mom's death and the divorce, but that the situation itself was very painful, but what was even more painful and what that was the catalyst for was just the much, much, much deeper relational trauma roots that, that got uprooted during that time that I delved into, um, the last several years. And, and I think, I'll still have more reflection, you know, in the next year, yeah. but it's been incredible and I'm grateful for it now. <laughs> yeah. So what has been the, the best or the most effective route to pulling those roots up and looking at them in terms of the relational trauma? And it sounds like you've been on a journey with it. And, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening have, or are also in that investigation. I'd love to hear what's really been um, effective. I think for me, it was sort of just, I I didn't, you know, the, the situations happened and that alone just is what uprooted things. And you know, does those things happen? Cause we weren't listening a few steps prior and then it just gets so loud. Maybe, um, but it happened and it all kind of happened at once. And I, yeah, I deeply grieved. Uh, I think I did feel some shame around my grief at times and kind of some martyr kind of narrative that I had to work through about all of it being my fault. And when bad things happen to me, it's my fault. Like I had to work through a lot of that. Um, I mean, on the one hand, that was good because I was really taking responsibility for some, some blind spots and shortcomings that I needed to look at honestly to change it. And then at a point I was like, okay, now it's time to like, yeah, not put that on me and like, let myself be angry or let myself see the truth, the whole truth, yeah. not just like my side of it. Um, and, and, and there's been this dance between like villain victim kind of stuff in my relationships in my life. So that stuff got kicked up. And for me, it was just so, painful and traumatic at the time on like a deep level, emotionally, neurologically, mentally, spiritually, Mm -hmm. and every possible level. I remember I was on the floor, just bawling, crying. It was a very dramatic moment. And, Mm -hmm. and I, um, I was so broken and the, the rug got so pulled from beneath me that the deep roots somehow just got, I mean, just got up. I mean, it felt like a medicine ceremony just got so uprooted that I imagined it like these in the central system of my body that there's like these threads or cords that wrap together. And some of those threads got untangled and went away or or they didn't go away, but they loosened to the point where I saw a self-hating voice that wasn't actually mine, but was so roped into me. And I, and I saw it almost like an entity and how it tries to repel light and push love away. And that, was hard you to were see. sober when you when you had this vision completely sober love it yeah completely sober I mean knocked down but sober yeah and I and I heard it wasn't even like I saw it I, I mean I saw it in that visual thread way but it was more that I heard it and I heard the tone of that voice and the texture of that voice 
And it was not my fucking voice. Whose voice was it? I think I might have inherited it from my mom. Yeah. Because I think she's had that voice for a long time. And I think she probably inherited it. Yeah. Fuck. Mm -hmm. I just got chills. Yeah. So that was the beginning of that. And I, and I, all of it. Yeah. We like before you move on from all that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, do you consider that like a dark night of the soul kind of a moment or, or oh, yeah. a huge turning point? It was a dark night of the soul. For sure. And that was, it came from, I just got divorced and my mom just died. Yeah. I mean, the divorce wasn't like legal yet, but you know, that took a year oh, or two, but, yeah. but the separation happened. I was basically moving out. It was a very confusing time. Um, I had had doubts about it throughout, which is kind of partly what chipped away at the relationship. But in the end, mm when all the shit and truth came out to the table, I was like, well, this is the, what we can build an empire with. Cause that's what I crave in a partnership is to have that capacity. And that just, we weren't a match in that way. So yeah, it was like, I literally had to leave to lead a Iceland retreat for like 30 people a week later. And I was just crying in the hot springs, barely getting through my classes. And I've showed up to teach under a lot of circumstances and usually can like just drop in. Um, so that was a dark night of the soul. It was the separation, all the abandonment, all the fear. Um, I had a lot of suicidal thoughts during that time. Um, I was super confused, super overwhelmed, super ashamed. I felt like so many things I felt. Um, were you talking to a friend? Cause I always feel like when I'm having my darkest thoughts, like I don't want to burden people. Like I don't want to text a friend and be like, yo, having a super dark thought, <laughs> you know? Cause I feel like people are like, what can I do? What can, what do you need? Or, you know, like, Oh, sorry. I'm in the middle of bathing my child. Like I can't talk to you. <laughs> like, what, yeah. um, did you reach out? Did you ask for help in those moments? It's or? so funny. Cause I can't even freaking remember. It's like blanked out. I, well, I definitely yeah. had, I definitely had a couple of friends that I, yes, I had friends that I talked to in that time. I think I, I think some of it was just a solo journey, but I definitely, yeah. my older brothers, you know, I talk about him a lot. He was definitely helping me through that time. Yeah. Um, uh, other, a, a couple of other dear sisters were helping me through that time. And, and even my ex and I were kind of like working through it, yeah. you know, even though it was like, you know, a little tumultuous. Um, I didn't quite have therapy yet. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah. when you were having like dark suicidal thoughts, were you like praying to God? Were you writing in your journal? Were you what, what were you doing with those? I was definitely praying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I was writing. It's so weird. You know, it's it's funny because I do EMDR therapy and some of like my most traumatic moments. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> like, there's like, my brain's like, nope. Um, so I do think there might be a, some of that, but I definitely was praying. I, I couldn't eat. I mean, I just like, couldn't really even take care of myself. My friend Hannah was with me in Iceland. She really helped me. Um, and, uh, I That's think good. I just like pushed through it. Like I was still teaching, yeah. honestly, coming back to business like that year, like running my business helped me. I just threw myself into my work. Yeah, it does. Honestly, like sometimes I'm like, great. I have a reason to leave that dark cave that I've been in because I have to show up to someone else. And it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a great thing to have to show up for others. And that's another thing. My brother said, that's when I, I don't do them anymore, but I did a thing called moon day. Uh, yeah, I think it's called moon day. Every Monday I would get on the moon deck Instagram and just pull cards and talk through things. And I would share my experience too, with healthy filters. And he's like, you need to be of service and get out of your shit and just like show Mm. up and not charge for it. 
And so that's ah. kind of what started this thing that lasted about two years. Um, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I think when those moments come where it's like, things get really dark, it's like, it's one part of us in my opinion. And I'm not a psychotherapist, I'm a practitioner and you know, all of these other things, a writer, artist, but when it's like, the whole of our being isn't sitting in that I want to die or I feel awful or no one loves me. It's like we're thrust into some part that's been traumatized and that's been neglected or that's like, and so it's interesting because I think that something like work that we love pulls us into another part of us that's been there the whole time. Like the other part of us of, of the many is is still present, is still able to um, show up, right? And so it's like, it, it, it's, when we go through those dark periods, I just feel like not all of our being is sitting in the shits there. There are other aspects of our being that if we can take find a road towards them, be it art, be it practice, be it teaching, be it whatever, then um, we we can come out of that that muck, mm -hmm. you know. But I think when when it's happening, we think that that's our every. We think that all of our being is just broken and in and falling apart, and it's not. I don't think it no. is, you know. It I think felt it, like it, yeah. It feels <laughs> it, like it. Oh my god! But other awful. parts, like you said, is super activated and. I just, I know that time had to happen exactly as it happened. And could I have listened a few steps prior? Probably. And that's where I'm learning to trust myself more and trust, trust myself more. Yeah. A lot about trusting and um, yeah, trusting. And on the flip side of that, being willing to love all the way, even when there's not certainty. Oh, yeah. Cause it's both sides, right? It's like, taking a risk and taking it wholeheartedly and going, okay, I'm just going to fully love, even though I don't know what's going to happen, but yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was one of, that was one of the things I had to face. And as far as what my part of it was, uh, was hold, withholding uh, because I had so much uncertainty and should I have listened to that uncertainty? Possibly. Would I choose differently now? Possibly. I don't know. I'll never have those answers and that's okay. Um, yeah. But I remember my brother, when I would get confused, he's just like, either get out or put both feet in and either, like, if you put both feet in, you're going to know real quick. And exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I think that some, some of my teachers have said that same thing in one, um, one, I, oh, I just sent you some of her stuff and you guys listening, you know, I read I'm about it. to Thank embarrass <laughs> myself here because I kind of love Dr. Pat Allen. Not everything she says, she wrote the book, Getting to I Do, but some of it was really helpful to me. But one thing she says is accept or reject, but do not tolerate. Mm. And, you know, it's kind of a black and white kind of a meme thing, but it's, it, it's helpful to consider. And that's exactly what your brother said. It's like, and that's in some of the other work that I study around loving and opening the heart. It's like either just give your heart fully or, or get out. But like you standing there closed is only creating so much suffering for yourself and the other person. And it's yeah. hard. It's easier said than done. It's like, you know, we, it, it, I remember actually one of our mutual friends and I've told this story before. 
I don't remember where I told it. So if you've already heard it, well, sorry. Um, but one of our mutual friends, Jessica Winterstrom, when I had met this man who was not my partner now, who was like this very twin flamey kind of an energy. But um, when I met him, I, I said to her, I said, because I knew she was in a partnership that, that seemed really magical. And I said, how do I know if I should open? Like, I just don't know yet if I should open fully, like to this, to this man. Like, I just don't know. I feel like when, I was like, when do you, when do you know if you can, if, if you should really fully open? And she said, you don't know. Hmm. You have to be willing to take a full, um, like spattering on the sidewalk. And she was like, but she was like, I have a question for you. Have you ever, um, been completely brokenhearted and had to put yourself back together again. And I, I have, and it was the worst experience. Well, it was awful. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that was terrible. And she was like, but did you put yourself back together again? I was like, yeah. She was like, okay. So then you just really have to risk it. And damn, I did. And it was awful. It was so awful. <laughs> Oh man. And I thought he, I was like, he's the one, he's the one. And then, you know, he wasn't the one. <laughs> it's so tricky. I mean, I'm just in dating land now, which we talked a little bit about before here. And it's, that's fun and exciting, but it's, I've had some partners since that time, but I haven't had like a, a true long-term deep dive partner since then. But I, I feel like I'm choosing from such a different place now at least it seems that way and yeah. uh, nothing shift and you really do get into those partnerships, but I feel ready to face what comes up and I'm, I feel more honest than ever before and more okay with how things turn out. I'd rather it be right than just be in something. I, I'm not willing yeah. to do that ever again. And yeah, not that I, I didn't realize I was doing that at the time, but, um, but I was in some ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I remember I was, I might've mentioned this to you, but I was, walking through Tribeca with my headphones on listening to music and it was like some electronic song and they had this like Osho <laughs> thing inserted and like I swear New York I had, yoga I, teacher yeah New York yoga, but it was like this hardcore electronic with like oh yeah Osho talking and I was walking in Tribeca kind of like head down like probably sulking about the situation and and then this voice came in and this happens to me sometimes like this very very clear and strong voice came in that just said, it like stopped me in my tracks and said, you could not have stayed in that marriage because a part of you would have died. And the world very much needs this part of you alive. Oh, I just got goosebumps. And it was just like balm over yeah. me. Like I yeah. just need to remember that and hear that message. Cause that's my path. And yeah. coming back to like the type of woman we are, like, it's not easy that that's the path to take risks, to have courage, to follow the soul and the heart. And yeah, that means my life doesn't look the way I thought it would when I was much, much younger or the way that might create a little more certainty and ease at times. But the more I'm learning, and this is still a work in progress to kind of get out of my own way and dissolve those narratives, just like the more integrated I feel when I'm integrated all the parts of myself, like just so much more as possible, let alone joy and happiness, you know, and, and even joy yeah. is a part of my healing now. Like me too. You know, be let's, so go, serious. Let's, let's hang out and like, just be joyful. Yeah. I'm having, I'm having trouble accessing it as much without alcohol since I'm not drinking. And I'm like <laughs> that, you know, I really love a glass of wine to just get me giggling, but, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, there's plenty of other things, including music. Certain music really brings joy forth in me, for sure. There are other ways. But I'm also on the learning joy path. And I think we both 
as children held a lot of space, like we, we took care of ourselves in certain ways and had to kind of grow up and, um, yeah, holds a lot. And I think sometimes, yeah, I'm like, well, I forfeited some of that play, you know? So now I get to give that mm -hmm. to myself and, um, yeah. And it's like, what does it look like? Well, so, so this is interesting because it's like, what I've been kind of chewing on is like, have this self-censoring that just happens automatically with men. And so like I, an old version of me would blame them. Like, oh, I can't fully show up in this relationship. I can't be my full self here, right? Like an old, old part of me would tell that story on repeat, which really keeps you single. Um, if, you know, <laughs> no hating on being single, but, you know, telling yourself that story like, oh, I'm, I'm not accepted by, I'm too much. Mine's a too much story. Um, and what I'm learning now is like, oh, it's on me to reveal all of me in front of this person that I love, I'm slightly intimidated by and terrified of some days. And it's my pattern to not fully reveal for me personally in front of men. I didn't grow up with a man at home. And there's like, you know, developmentally, I just, I didn't have that comfort. So even now I'm like, oh, I live with a man. And I'm like, sometimes I'm like, ah, it's his fault that I'm not fully expressed. You know, mm -hmm. like when I was single, I was dancing around the house every day. And I'm like, it's not his fault. I'm just shy about it. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a little shy about it and I have to work a little extra hard and make sure that I'm not putting it on him. Like, and then I give him a full opportunity to meet all parts of me fully, you know, revealed, but without also like pushing them in his face, you know, like not being like, look at this, look at this. Do you still love me? Do you still love me? <laughs> <laughs> Which sometimes happens unconsciously. It's like testing. It's like, all right, I'm going to like show him this most disgusting, weird part of myself and see if he still loves me, you know? I think that's so natural, though. Those yeah. Pesty women. Yeah. I mean, I think we want our. And I remember that feeling of like wanting to feel comfortable in a shared home and like. Yeah cooking how I want and dancing how I want and leaving my yoga mat out and like, you know, or whatever it is. And that was like, yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting when that time comes again in my life. And yeah, I, I always joke. I'm like, we just need our own wings of the house. And well, we kind of have that. Like he's, oh, that's great. <laughs> but still today he's like, I could hear you. We need to figure out how to soundproof your door because I can hear you upstairs. And I just like didn't respond. And he was like, did I hurt your feelings? I'm like, no, babe. <laughs> I just, but partially I was just like, I'm going to block that out right now. Um, but, you know, we're working this stuff out. And I, I, when I work with women on my client sessions on Zoom, I sometimes am like, yes, yes, more. Duh. And I'm like screaming like, you know, and anyone in any house, unless we live in like a huge mansion, they're going to hear me. So we're, we're still. Yeah. We're I still love that about you. <laughs> glad the only time it's a real problem is like if I'm in the same house with someone else doing that like I tried to live with our friend saw for like two weeks last year and it was just like competing voices it was madness I was like this that. <laughs> we, we could never live together yeah okay so speaking of uh loudness big personalities fire being too much and all of this kind of thing um one thing that has been interesting for you and I to navigate in our friendship is um, how we come together and 
have helpful conflicts, I would say, helpful, per, uh, productive, and also seeing ourselves and each other a little bit in our patterns and, and how that is um, sometimes scary, like to see your own pattern or to have a clashing of patterns. And so I'm curious, like, however you would want to uh, share about it, right? Like the dead, we can decide how deep we go into this people. Um, but <laughs> in terms of being a strong woman and what happens when you get into a fight with another strong woman, it's like, what happens when we kind of come head to head and we can share a little bit about, I think the different parts of us in those moments, because I think there's like several different characters that show up into the, to the ring. Yeah. I mean, I think the less afraid and ashamed I become of my strength and like quote unquote air quotes here, intensity, the too muchness, not enoughness, the, the more that heals, the more I'm able to show up with other strong women, um, you know, but yeah, we have had some crunchiness, you and I with that. And I think, I mean, when I read your recent piece, um, I don't remember the name of it about it's called to be a woman who doesn't pretend that one. Yeah, yeah. It was a beautiful piece. I very different life and family, but so many parallels and some mm -hmm. of the descriptions in there, I was like, I remember holding that inside of me. So I think some of our clashing comes from the overlapping of patterns, as you, as you mentioned, and yeah. maybe we sort of subconsciously see ourselves in moments um, in certain spaces. Um, and I think it's one of those things like being, learning to be comfortable in my intensity and power. If I'm not comfortable in that, of course, I'm going to be uncomfortable in the face of someone else's. Mm. And so I think, I think I probably felt threatened by it or challenged or not quite sure how to like discuss a hurt feeling or if that hurt feeling was my own projection um, because I do have a history, not in a few years now, I mean, maybe sometimes, <laughs> but it used to be like a thing where like my energy was just so, big that if I came in dark, the darkness would fill the room. If I came in bright, the brightness would fill the room. And it's like as high as I went is as low as I went. And, mm -hmm. and so I was reactive as a result of that. Things would get triggered easily. My emotions have always been big. I wasn't really given a space to experience those big emotions when I was little or to be looked at as a just small human going through major transitions uh, versus misbehaving or whatever was yeah. the story back then. So all of that has culminated or did culminate into my fire being inflamed in areas that caused a lot of like anxiety and discomfort and suffering. Yeah. Um, so now I'm, I'm really working to redefine those words and love them. And like, even like looking at my, as you know, I do EMDR therapy and this has helped a lot, like looking at parts of myself as a child into now and just having such incredible compassion and a far different understanding of yeah, how I had to show up in those moments has really softened the edges and, and, um, and just trusting myself when something feels on or off. And even mm -hmm. with us, when we've talked about these things, I've really appreciated, and I know you're working on it too, like the permission you give to show up as we are and that if I'm if I am showing up or responding from a place that feels centered versus from my head and reactionary um, which as I said was a very strong habit for me and something I'm working through 
Um, then I'm, if I'm, if I'm expressing myself from that center and embodied place, then I'm not as terrified of the outcome, even if the outcome is not what I would prefer it to be. But yeah. when I'm coming from like an anxious, heady place where like my fear stuff and kind of relational trauma is being activated, then I'm terrified of abandonment. I'm terrified of doing it wrong. And I'm scared to share yeah. my feelings it all up. And what did I do to mess this up? And like that whole thing. So as yeah. I'm learning to be in my body and be in my heart and sit with uncomfortable feelings a little longer before I express them to make sure they're coming from the right place, then I'm like, well, I hope it works out this way, but like, I'm not as terrified of the consequences. Should we realize that we're just dissonant um, yeah. and it would be still painful. It doesn't mean it's doesn't still feel like a loss or unfortunate or a bummer. Um, but at least I know I was coming from a place that was clear. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, there's, there's, so much to just taking that breath and feeling the heart and like dropping into the belly and speaking and living from there and feeling how quickly that that can go away in a moment of fear or upset that it's like just in, in it's just, it's almost like you don't even notice all of a sudden it's happened. And it's like, oh, I was deeply embodied, heart open. And now all of a sudden it's like, boom. And I don't mean you, I mean, just in general, like all of a sudden, boom, I'm in my head and I'm in fear and anxiety. And it happens to me in relationship all the time. And it's, that's part of why my, my deepest practice is just come back to the breath, come back to the body, come back to, oh, where's my heart? Ugh, ooh, feel into my body because it's like, it's, um, it's such a, a, a pattern, you know, for me too, of just like that the minute that like a little fear comes, it's just like, woof, out of the body, mm. out of the body. And I feel like one thing that I was thinking about with us is that everybody has different, and I've been working on this a little bit in therapy. Everybody has different, um, different trauma responses, right? And they arise at different moments. And so I, I think of them as like this cute little bouquet. It's like, <laughs> who's going to show up now? Um, and what I've been really thinking about, and it's funny because this came through with one of my clients this week also, but what I've been thinking about is that I have a really strong fighter and fight, 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 flight, freeze, shut down, shame, cry for help. Like these are all different responses, not shut down, shut down is freeze. But um, that fight has actually been one of my favorite trauma responses, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, and, and, I have some dear friends who they just flight, they avoid at all costs, boom, they gone. And I have a lot of, I have some people that are freezers, right? Just totally empty void. They're gone out of their bodies, but they're sitting in front of you. And when I was just thinking, we're talking, I'm like, we both have fucking strong fighters. Like, cause, yeah. <laughs> and that's how we've gotten shit done in the world. Yeah. But what's interesting is they, they've knocked each other. So in a moment when we've misunderstood each other, it's like our fighters are both ready to be like, what, what? <laughs> I know. We're like, what, what? You got something? But then at the same time, we're like so tender on the inside and like want connection and, and yeah. That's but just yeah, our that's little true. protector. It's our, like, it's our, it's our trauma. I mean, I'm saying our, and I don't want to make any conclusions about you, but for me, I'll say it's like my fighter is, um, 
A, a trauma response, and B, it's like a shell, you know, protecting yeah. my tender, vulnerable, juicy desire to be loved and to connect and to be close to you. Like, I just mm-hmm. want to be close and I just want to feel loved. And that protector just gets knocked. And it's, it's, um, what I was saying to you, I think when we were having some conflict, I was like, you know, um, other people around us, it's not that they're not having conflict. They just have a different response. They might be, <laughs> you know, they might be freezers. They're like having the same response, but it just went inward. And ours totally. is a fight response. So we're like, hey, like, I'm mad at you. <laughs> and we are such expressors too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's, it's like, I'm in a relationship. I've been in a relationship, in a romantic relationship with another kind of fighter. Have you ever been? Oh, yeah. And yeah. and I grew up, you know, my parents split when I was really young. My mom continued in fairly volatile relationships. It's kind of a miracle I've chosen as well as I have in my life, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and uh, but like I grew up around a fair amount of volatility and very intense uh screaming and fighting sometimes it was physical that I observed my mom being in and you know I was have this image of me when I was probably like 10 years old my mom is on the floor crying she was drunk Mm. likely and this guy is just man and I like have my hands on my hips standing in front of my mom being like don't touch my mom and just this like force would come out of me full body chills full body chills and I thank god like I was a brilliant little child but no child should have to do that so that fighter which I'm grateful for lives deep in my gut. Like it feels like a collie. It feels divine, yeah. you know, it's like deep it in my bones. Dumb. Yeah. I know. But it's finding that healing around it so that I don't have to be on the defense all the time because yeah. I don't want to live that way. And I don't want my relationships to be built on that and with myself mm-hmm. or anyone. Yeah. Oh, that image is so powerful. And it's like, and I, I, I think that there's something karmic maybe on the soul kind of level of like, you probably have a fighter element deep within the core of you. And it seems like it developed from these moments of, as a response to trauma and circumstance. And I know mine definitely got called forth because of that as well. And I started I started fighting for a voice in my life at a young age. I mean, I remember being like, okay, I need to like go out and I, I need to audition for a play. And I was eight and I was like, I, this is my life. I'm going to like, you know, have, I'm going to like make my dreams come true and I'm going to get out of this poor household with my mom working so hard and da 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 da. And I'm at like, eight years old, I love that. I'm just seeing it with your. Amazing oh my God. Like and I'm like, like <laughs> where the hell did that come from? You know, like, bless my mom because she really followed my whims. And like, I'm not, <laughs> I, I don't mean that in like a derogatory way. She listened to my desires. Like, even, I mean, I was like, I'm an audition for Anne Frank, the role of Anne Frank and like the Atlanta theater. And I didn't know that, you know. And Frank was Jewish and maybe looked a little different than me. But, you know, I think there's some, there's plenty of blue-eyed Jews out there. Um, but... <laughs> But my mom listened to those moments and there was definitely something that was beyond conditioning and trauma coming through my fighter spirit. But I think that that the fighter really got a good workout in life by um, having hard things happen. And uh, and so it's an interesting, and I was saying this to a client, I'm like, okay, the armored Amazon gets to be honored so deeply. Like, thank you 
for fighting your way through the jungle and protecting me from all of those like poisons and like all of those scary things, creepy crawlies. And now I'm going to take off my armored Amazon outfit and put it on my altar and bow to it for getting me here. But I'm not going to just keep wearing it unconsciously because that's what I've been doing. Like now my tender heart self is ready to like really get a workout. And yeah, there's an honoring, I think, to the part of you that's fought to get where you are. There is. And that has been a game changer to not just know that cerebrally, but like to actually experience that in my body. Yeah. And to just have like ahas moments with that has been yeah. yeah. Incredible. Through through writing, our, when, when we all used to write together through EMDR, through just my willingness to, you know, you had asked me earlier, like what I did during that time to get through it. And it just was like, just like, let myself cry and not let, not um, force my healing to be linear or on anyone else's schedule. And, yeah. and like when tough times show up in our life, I just think like, do everything we can to harvest something from it and learn from it and be teachable and curious so that we evolve past that and like not have to repeat it. And that's how it was for me. I was like, this was too full on for me to like not turn this into something valuable. Yeah. And I think we've been sort of a little bit dancing around and, and I, we don't need to go into the depths of this, but I've, I think I've said a few times, like, well, you've been through different hard things. Um, and I, I'm wondering if you, I mean, not necessarily like a list of your traumas, cause that's, I think that's a little intense, but if you want to, or could in a nutshell share, um, with people how you, or what you're, what you fought against to get where you are, because I do think it's quite powerful um, to hear like, wow, okay, these circumstances were really tough. And yet I still put my voice out into the world. I still um, worked really hard and I still got myself into a space of healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of healing and, and like, I think because of that trauma and I'll start it, which started at like three um, is what catapulted me into my spirituality, whether it was from the imaginal world or really spirit connecting to me, it doesn't matter. It was very real yeah. for me. Um, but m- my mom was bipolar and an addict. Uh, so that was already in the mix. Yeah. And, and she Huge. was 24 when she had me and yeah. Um, and that's when that stuff tends to start for people, some of those yeah. mental imbalances in their early twenties. Uh, and my dad was in the music industry in LA and there was a lot of like parties and drugs and, you know, just like literally like boogie nights. And, um, so we, we had a babysitter, um, at, my parents were so sort of wrapped up in their own drama and, you know, they were young and had the tools they had. So it's just the reality yeah. of the situation. Um, that like at that time, my babysitter was molesting me, my brother drowned and flatline, like all this stuff sort of happened at that time, because they weren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. So that was the beginning of the kind of confusion around relationships and connection. I think I wanted connection so bad that I had this strange bond with my babysitter. And then there was a turning point where I finally told on him and I, I'm blank after that. I don't know exactly what happened. And then he just And it was never really talked about. So it wasn't even the molestation as much as it was how it was not handled or handled afterwards, where I just wasn't led into understanding what that was and what my part was or wasn't in it. Um, I took probably some fault for that at that age. I mean, I just wanted connection. So I think that's where a lot of that 
came from. And the something I tapped into recently in EMDR from that is my, from that point is when this thing started for me where I get so overwhelmed with, not always, but when I'm in a little bit of a neurosis around these things, I'll get overwhelmed with making the right decision because I want to know all the pieces and how they're going to play out and where the chess pieces are going to be before I decide. And then I get really overwhelmed with making the right decision because I need to be able to like control the situation or that environment. Mm. And so that started then. And then their divorce was very, very, very volatile. And I mean, like full on, like my mom holding a well harpoon towards my dad kind of stuff. Oh my God. (laughs) They didn't actually do it. Yeah. We had this antique well harpoon. (laughs) They were crazy. Um, So yeah. So that was just like a volatile thing. And then they just, you know, they kind of, I think I was protecting everyone's feelings as a child, wanting them to know I loved them all, but didn't know who to choose. We had to kind of choose between them. Um, and then my dad ended up meeting my stepmom, Um, and that was a bit of a intense turning point for me as well. She's still in my life. Um, and then my mom sort of continued in these volatile, usually alcoholic relationships. So when I would visit yeah. her, um, growing up during holidays, sometimes I'd have to fly home early because like, you know, tables were flying and kind of the story I just yeah. mentioned was one of those times where cops came and I had to go home early. So that's kind of the progression of, of all the things yeah. and so many, and we moved every three years and just so many changes and transitions all the time. And when you're a kid, it's just all, you know, and I just, I'm yeah. a pretty happy kid, but I also, you just don't know anything else as a kid, you know? So in yeah. retrospect, I'm like, well, that was kind of fucked up. And then I think all of that manifested when I was 13 into like a 10 year uh, bulimia which comes back to the controlling of my little environment that I did have control on because the rest of the environment was so out of control yeah. and that was on and off. Um, it would like kind of go away and then it would come back with a vengeance. And then when I was like 16 or 17, I got truly and sincerely interested in health and holy, I'm not a vegetarian anymore, but that's when that journey started. I've been yeah. every diet under the sun. <sighs> And so that got confused with the sort of eating disorder and that kind of created a whole different avenue, which is what got me to become a holistic health counselor. So, so that's been the journey. I'd say the molestation, the sort of parental relational stuff that happened, um, being told frequently that I'm being too sensitive. Um, there was no space for me to feel. So I kind of would, I had this walk-in closet. I remember when I was little, and I would like hide in there and like do spiritual things. I would, my mom was teaching me how to have out of body experiences. So I would like practice and like candles and I had a crystal collection. I mean, all the same. Oh, shit I'm into now. So I really tapped into that. I, I yeah. um, would make up my own languages to support, uh, like kind of protect myself. I would, mm. you know, I just was very enthralled in like that kind of realm. Sweet little witch. I was a sweet little witch. Yeah. So yeah. And then the, the bulimia, I, I kind of recovered from that in my early twenties. Um, and, you know, I think we could go on and on. Yeah. Those are like the main kind yeah. of younger, like de- 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 uh, developmental mm-hmm. triggers that yeah. shaped my nervous system. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing those. And, um, and just to feel like how you had to be, sounds like stable for yourself because it sounds like nothing around you was stable and almost like that you could rely on anything around you like it sounds like your parents maybe weren't super present and all of the things oh there was a lot of chaos it feels like 
there was um, chaos. And I, I remember I did a, a EFT workshop a long time ago yeah. and we were tapping, working on inner child stuff. And I like got in touch with this contract, like a signature when I was around the four-year-old, five-year-old time, which was a big marker for me. And um, where I like had this belief that I mess up love. Mm. And then I just was like bawling and like just feeling this girl. And now when I see photos of me as a little girl, I'm sure others can mm. relate to this. I just see what she was holding in her eyes, oh. you know? Oh. Yeah. Well, I just think you're such a, 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 a beautiful example to so many other people of how you take um, or how you one can take um, trauma or a tough childhood and transform it and take it as a soul curriculum and then say, okay, I'm, I'm going to learn how to heal myself. And then I'm going to share that with others. And, um, I think it's really inspiring to hear the truth. I just, I feel like we, we all need to keep telling the truth. It's like, as much as like, sure, we've heard the, the stories about pain and everybody's pain, but I'm still like, I still want to hear someone's true story. I don't want to hear the glossed over version or like mm -hmm. the everything's fine version. I want to hear like, yeah, like that, that one traumatic experience um, dictates my behavior now. Because that's how it is with me, you know, like this certain childhood traumas or certain developmental traumas, like every day I, I'm facing them in different yeah. ways. Not directly. I'm not like thinking about the memory every day. But um, like you said, your nervous system was created. Your loving, your ability to love, the way your body is formed, the way we feel um, all comes from all of that. And obviously there's different degrees that feel more dramatic in different systems. And and yeah, it's just, it feels just so important regardless of the level, like nobody's kind of trauma story is more important in some way than another. Like I feel no. like they're all actually needed. We need them because in your story, so many other people I'm sure could hear it and go, wow, like that. I'm so glad to hear that because it resonates with me. So thanks for sharing that. And I kind of like that you shared it at the end instead of the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm grateful for it now. I think I, I, I feel like trauma is like an innovator. I really think it Ooh. innovates incredible art, poetry, Ooh, inventions. Like it, it's so much is, it is comes from that. If that's why I said earlier, like if we can be teachable and curious, maybe not right away, like take time to heal, but at some point get curious about why this happened for us and, and what we can harvest from it and, and, um, and start to really build a very deeply loving and secure relationship with ourselves and give us ourselves the validation that we always craved and the love. And just, I've, the more I do that and the more I align with that and sink into it, which is a daily practice the more it just starts to show up in my exterior world as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And I agree. Me too. And there's days where it's just a really hard still. Exactly. Yeah. And there's those days where it's super crunchy. I had one. But of I those. feel like as we build what? new programs over the old ones, the old ones still are there. It's not. They yeah. Don't disappear. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, 
it's important to be with them and not to, I think about all the times where those hard days were actually trying to come forward, the hard feelings or like the child feelings that never were felt, but I was too busy in New York or I was drinking or I was actually just completely ignoring them. And now I just don't ignore them and I don't numb mm. them and they can be awful just so awful feels like rocks are like on top like for me I have this leads like I'm wearing a lead suit those days mm. or like my body feels like it could barely move but and I it's so I, believable in that moment like the the voices and it's like when you're yeah. in the thick of it and life's gonna still happen there will still be loss there will still be scary yeah, more, things unfortunately more scary things <laughs> yeah but yeah, I, yeah. I appreciate that you let yourself be there and you turn it into poetry and art because like there's a transmission in your work, I think, as a result of that permission. And I've always said in, when we were writing in our group that you mm. just when I hear you, it's truly like I feel the permission to be like, oh, OK, I'm not alone in this or these aren't wrong feelings or like there's actually something quite beautiful and poetic as haunting as it might be in this moment. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think we can support each other together in those moments and just be like, wow, today I feel like I'm wearing a lead suit and I want to stay in the bed. I don't even have the energy to watch TV, you know, because when I'm depressed or in a dark space, I don't, nothing, not TV, not chocolate, ain't nothing to help me. Um, I just <laughs> have to like be with it until it goes, you know, and, and being able to say that to a friend and, and just understand each other a little bit like, yeah. I hear you, you know, I was going to ask, do you usually stay solo in those moments or do you reach out to people or it just depends on the scenario? If you guys could see me, I just did a giant eye roll. <laughs> oh my God. I wish I could stay solo, but now I live with a human. And <laughs> when I, when I used to have those days solo, I would just get back into bed when I wasn't working, I would show up to working, you know, to clients or to whatever, but then I just get back into bed put on some Krishna Das, some, you know, some loving music, and I would just, just be there. Um, and sometimes it's not even in the crying space. Sometimes that kind of dark and deep, heavy, it's like, you wish you could cry, you know, but it's just feels like just this stuck, yucky. Um, but now I have a person around, ah, and it's awful when I'm stuck in that place because, you know, it's hard not to just be like, ah, don't look at me. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, Do you but, feel shame around that, those feelings? Or no, past that? I don't good. feel, I don't feel shame around it. Like Moon was here. Uh, my friend Moon to Simone was here when I went into a full shutdown freeze, which I don't do the freeze very often. Like I said, I fight more. But something real old was triggered in me, real, real old, like infant age old. Um, my parents were flight attendants. And so I w had au pairs like nannies from a very young age. And so I think that like my infant self didn't ever, didn't always know when they were coming back. You know, they were gone. I was with strangers as a little baby. Not all the time. I'm not complaining, mom, dad, whoever's listening. <laughs> <laughs> um but something, it was very infantile, this like freeze. And it felt like there was like a lead boulder on my chest. And I felt like almost like I couldn't function. I was driving and I felt like I almost couldn't function. I was having trouble focusing to drive. And I just, eventually Moon and I got where we're going and I felt dizzy. And I said, 
I really am having a hard time inside. And I was, you know, still acting functional, obviously walking and talking to her. And then I, um, the voice inside was just so like, you're never going to, your relationship's never going to work out because you're just not lovable and you're going to always be alone. Mm -hmm. And it was just, and it was this, it was just this such sad voice. It was just like, you're disgusting. And I really had not heard this voice in a long time. Like you're gross, you're unattractive, you're not lovable. It was so bizarre. And I was just with it. I knew like, wow, this is a trauma part speaking to me. And I happened to be in public, which is annoying, but I sat and cried on this bench outside the, the Shambhala Mountain Center here, here in Colorado with Moon. And I, to, and, and I told her, I just said, like, I'm just really feeling awful. And I, you know, I did my best and it took, it took about a, a day and a half to pass. And it was really hard because she saw me in it and my partner saw me in it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like, it wasn't my fight. Um, trauma response is much cuter. It's much, you know, she may be bratty, but like she's active. This was like, just like a deep, deep shutdown, you know? So, so yeah. Did you feel like that cycle cleared something that it came yeah. up? Yeah, absolutely. And I have not heard that voice, that voice knock on wood. <laughs> not heard that voice since. <laughs> Because, like, I was like, this is not a normal voice that comes through. But I was just holding space for it. But it felt mm. awful. Just bad. So, yeah, everybody, good luck on your healing journey. <laughs> <laughs> Have fun. Here, yeah. I am. Here we both are, like, nearly 20 years or maybe more into it. And then still, there's still just stuff that pops up. It's not a, you don't just get somewhere and finish. You just keep working with it. Yeah. But I feel like, I do feel like you get to a point again, life's going to still happen. You know, I'm sure I'll be calling you in my next real partnership being like, I thought I worked on this. Oh my God. Um, yeah. I can't wait for that. <laughs> um, but I do feel like at least in this moment, like the reward of that work and it doesn't mean it doesn't still like keep going and things come up, but it just, it gets a little more fun. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm, there's all this dissonance mm-hmm. and I know that means I need to look at my stuff mm-hmm. and clearing clutter, whatever it is. And, mm-hmm. and like that there is a path to get back into resonance Yeah, and, and like seeing the patterns and the habits and like, as we heal one, the next one's revealed and getting support. You know, I keep raving about EMDR. That's one of my supports. Yeah. Working, working with some plants, sometimes turning to people I really trust and, and being brave in my shares, knowing when it's time to just be with myself. Yep. Um, moving my body is huge. I got yeah. a little stagnant this week today. I did do some movement movements, like so huge. It, it's like night and day. If I go more than a week, you know, and I've gone months at times of, of avoiding movement. Um, it's, a, it's, you know, chemically speaking, um, talking about the feminine, my, the strength of our body, all of that. It just, that's a huge way to filter out some of the debris that can come up. And it's like, if that's, if we can just make our bed, sometimes it's like, if you can just make your bed and move your body on those days, like even for 10 minutes, like that's a huge act of self-love in those hard days. Yeah. I hope everybody got a pen and wrote down all of that great stuff that Irana just said. (laughs) Because she said some good stuff for um, how to take care of yourself and how to just kind of self-regulate and how to stay on your healing path from 
engaging with some kind of therapy or some sort of coaching or something that's that's real and good, not just somebody random who's talking about some, you know, ungrounded spiritual stuff. No, some, but something. Well, yeah. Like and talk therapy is great, but, but there's actually studies that talk therapy alone doesn't change. So if there has been a lot of tra trauma, it doesn't change the brain. It's EMDR, somatic hypnosis, plant medicines, things like that is what's going to actually alter the, the brain spotting that can happen from yeah. trauma. Yeah. Talking brings awareness, which is super helpful. But then what do you do with that awareness and where do you take it? And I like, I think those are really great. Um, and if it, it, to, to just have something that you're, you're consistently doing, and there are many different price points and different people offering different things in that regard, moving so important, whether it's taking a walk, whether it's walking up and down the stairs of your building, whether it's making your bed. Sometimes I just go to YouTube. I put on one FKA twig song and I dance around the Oh, I like that. <laughs> because I'm double doing it. I'm getting my sexy movement and I'm moving my body and I love it. It makes me so happy. <laughs> I love her and I love watching her dance. I do it like her. Me. Um, and what are some of the other things you've said? Plants. What kind of plants? And talk therapy is great, by the way. Like I'm no, we love a, it. a verbal processor, but if you really want to like yeah. get into the gritty and like make lasting change couple it with that or perhaps pivot it to that um you know like i mean teas things like that but oh you were not talking about tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh i mean yeah. i have been doing some no we know you love tea sure microdosing of mushrooms which i didn't I do also... for years and that's been recently I was actually given some for my birthday, like a huge amount. And I was like, I'm not going to do, cause I hadn't been really doing much for a couple of years. And, and every time I did do it, it was actually causing anxiety, which is probably just the strain. I think actually I don't want it combined with the chocolate. I just need it like okay. pure, I'm realizing. Ah. Um, cause yeah, I had a couple of negative experiences with it. So then I waited, I was like, I'm not taking all that. I'll just take half. And now that I have it, I'm like, damn it. What? I need the whole thing. So yeah, just taking little bits have been really helpful. Um, I find that I'm sensitive, more sensitive now than a few years ago when I was microdosing psilocybin. Um, now I I got like a regular microdose and I was like, I cannot, fun like I, I'm laid out with this quote unquote microdose. So I've been taking half of it and I can't feel it. And I think that's actually a good kind of place to be. Mm. Um if you're on a work day, you know, but I don't usually do it on work days, but maybe I should don't. experiment with that teeny weeny bit. Yeah. Just a teeny weeny. I mean, I, I, if you research the science behind it, if you come from a neurodivergent, um, you know, family or background, et cetera. Did I say that right? I think so. neurodiverse. Diver I think divergent means it's like a little abnormal. Or is it neurodiverse? I think it's neurodiverse, but I'm okay, not great. sure. Now I want to Google so it. So we come yeah. from, Arana and I come from neurodiverse backgrounds. And, and divergent. And divergent. <laughs> <laughs> we're all over the map. So I've done some research and we're not recommending psilocybin for everyone. And it's not um, legal in most places. It's only decriminalized in a few places. But if you look at actually how it works with the neurotransmitters, that's that's why I've continued to think, okay, I think this is a great route versus taking anti-anxiety medication or antidepressants, which I've never deeply considered. But there have been moments where I was like, 
I probably clinically would need them. I come from people that really need them. Um, and so I think that uh, microdosing is one of many different options. And I don't think it works for everyone, of course. And I think it's a long-term kind of thing. I don't think your neurotransmitters are just like, peep, we're now we're, we're back in action, doing great, you know? Yeah. And there's times like there has been very much chunks of times where like my body was like, I just need to know your chemistry with nothing else added. And like, yeah. and, and I've had those moments too. And yeah. I think I have been recommended medicine before when I came back to LA after the divorce and you know, all that stuff. And then she's like, well, you're going to take that for the anxiety, but then that's going to make your sex drive go down and gain weight. So then I'll give you this for that. And I was like, what? No. And you know, my right. mom had a lot of pills going, um, cause she had a bad surgery later on. She was already an addict. And, and so just like that idea. And, and there's definitely a place for that medicine. A hundred percent. I know people that it's helped greatly during me too. Time. I have some, one of some of my best friends like swear by it and, and they're, you know, they, they really do need it and, and are doing well with it. And so, yeah, there's, I mean, it's I think a, it's it, not, it's not static though, right? No. It's like all these things are like change over time. And you might like, do, you might take it for a few years and then you might titrate. I mean, there's just so many different, different options, but I love how you just shared, you know, some of these kind of main ways of self-regulating and keeping and the one thing, another thing I'll just kind of throw into the mix as we close here is um, creating. I think that's probably saved you and I's life, right? Oh, I definitely would say creating has saved my life in major ways. It's okay. been, a, it's been a channel for th- ways when I was a photographer, even teaching and doing those events. Yeah. Just like a way to channel from something bigger than me and my story, but also giving a space to express that in abstract ways that didn't need words and then writing and poetry has. And yeah. Yeah. And then I'll come full circle into the beginning of like, and now I'm trying to balance it all with the business, but that creating is everything. And I just, yeah. You never want to see a world without music and art and creating like that. It's so essential to this planet. It's so I think so much of the art we see out there, not all of it, but so much of the art that we see out there has been like the medicine of these shadows that we've been talking about, just moving and transforming and innovating through these various oh, yeah. experiences and telling the, the stories of the many layers of the heart and psyche and spirit. Yeah. And I would say like people, if you feel like shit and you're depressed and anxious and feel like you're wearing a lead suit like me on some days, get offline and oh, go, gosh, if you're going to yeah. create, like, just stop looking at the internet. Like, if you dance, if you draw, if you take photos, if you write, like, if you don't even know what you do, make a soup. Um, but, you know, like, figure out a way to create and get off the computer, you know, get off the internet, get off the social media. The phone's not going to help. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to help. But it's it's like last night I was, I was thinking about the art that is, like, just – I mean, there's so much art has saved me, not only the creating art, but taking in other people's art. And I was just thinking about the first time I heard Nirvana's Come As You Are and how like my spirit was like, <gasps> like something in me like came to life because that man was sharing his fucking pain. Mm. And I mean, the great art is just born from that, whether it's creating the moon deck or, you know, me creating 
my book, Fuck Like a Goddess, or my show, Be Here Now-ish, or you creating those gorgeous installations or taking photos, like all of that is is taking the human experience and then finding a way to um, not transcend it, but to like, cre- to like transform it into the universal. Mm. And then you yeah. are, you're like the emblem of the universal through you, you know? And you just never know who it's going to touch that, that, that photography era before I moved into editorial was all, I worked out all my shit around my eating disorders, body image. I was scuffing up, you know, cause back then it was still film and, um, photography was like, you know, clean negatives, no scratches, no dust. So I was kind of comparing that with like body image. So I just like was working out all that stuff and sort of rebelling and like scratching up the negatives and doing these huge pieces of like armpits and balls. I <laughs> love it. Uh, and then the moon deck is speaking to the part of me that needed to believe in herself and, and trust her voice and trust her intuition and trust the unseen realm that she was tapped into and yeah. um, dissolve self-doubt and the pain that comes with doubting ourself. And yeah. And now moving on to the next one, we'll see what, what exactly. comes next. We create the medicine that we need. And I think I might've said this recently, people so sorry, but um, I reread Big Magic recently by Liz Gilbert. And she's like, stop trying to create stuff to help other people. Create something to help yourself. And in the meantime, in the process, you're probably going to help someone else, you know? <laughs> and I think yeah. that's that's like, that's, I imagine you creating the moon deck. And that's me writing my book. And it's like, yeah, we know that ho- hopefully many, many people will be touched, but we're creating it because it's the medicine that we need at that phase of life. And if we need it, other people do, just whoever's <laughs> listening like you're ready now to create and put it out there like someone needs it and exactly no pressure but exactly the fear is that you're not ready yet or you need one more workshop or you need one more this like no yeah (laughs) I'm so glad that um we got to have this conversation and I feel like we could just keep talking (laughs) uh thank you so much for sharing your deep wisdom and strength and courage and clarity and humor and candidness. I really appreciate it. And I hope everybody here also just um, go follow Arana on the moon deck and also on her Instagram account, get on her email list for your, you know, for the next offering she has. And um, yeah, she's going to keep making amazing work in the world. I love you. I am. I love you. Thank you for having me here. I love you so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. All right. See you again soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo. And you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review. Give us a five-star rating. All of that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.